Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. place for any Jew these days, with all the Roman soldiers around. But for Jesus, it was even more dangerous. Jesus had made some powerful enemies among the Jewish leaders, and it meant that they were, at the very least, they were not going to be universally receptive of him with open arms. And at worst, well, they tried not to think about what it would mean at its worst when the leaders wanted Jesus dead. Besides, Jesus was looking more and more like the Messiah all the time. They didn't have to worry about the leaders of the Jews. They didn't have to worry about the Romans. Indeed, if he was the Messiah, then no one could stop him. He would be untouchable if it came to a battle. But as they walked along, both afraid and excited about what lay ahead, And more than a little amazed at everything they'd experienced so far, Jesus pulled the twelve aside to speak to them privately. And when he had them together, he began telling them, guys, you really need to be ready for what's about to happen. We're getting ready to go into Jerusalem, and I don't want you to be surprised about what takes place next. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests the scribes, the lawyers, and guys, they're going to condemn me to death. And you need to understand, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. The Gentiles are going to mock and spit on me and flog me and murder me. But I don't want you to worry, because this is all part of the plan. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead, accomplishing all I set out to do. And it was a tense moment when Jesus is telling them this, to say the least. It was as if the whole world around them had stopped. Like the wind stopped blowing and the crickets stopped chirping and the the birds stopped singing. Everything just stopped and the weight of Jesus' words settled on them, filling their ears with a message that they couldn't believe. They didn't want to believe. They wouldn't believe it. Jesus himself had confirmed to them that he was the Messiah. He couldn't die. He was the deliverer. And as the disciples ponder this message from Jesus, as they try to wrap their brains around this, the brothers James and John pull Jesus aside from the group. The two brothers, literally called the Thunderers, my type of guys, they took Jesus just out of earshot of the rest and said, Jesus, we got a favor to ask of you. But here's the thing, Jesus. you got to promise to do whatever we ask of you before we tell you what it is. They wanted carte blanche, blank check with Jesus. Jesus knows better. He doesn't give it to him. He says, what exactly is it that you want me to do? Come on, fellas. 
What do you want? Taking one last look around to make sure none of the others could hear him, they said, we want you to make us number two and number three in your kingdom. We want to sit at your right and at your left hand. Give us the best positions in glory, Jesus. That's all we want. Oh, is that all? Amazing, isn't it? The human capacity for self-centeredness. It seems to have no bounds. We human beings are shameless when it comes to pursuing our own self-interest and glorification. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about some really big names from the Bible. Jacob, Saul, David, Solomon. We've been looking at the choices that they made and how the selfish choices they made, made they absolutely demolished the lives of the love, their loved ones themselves, and it even destroyed their legacies in some cases. And today we're looking at two of the disciples, two of the men Jesus had hand-picked to follow him. And how even in such a meaningful and somber moment, they were more worried about their own position than they were about Jesus' impending pain and death. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? Jesus has just told them, fellas, I'm going to die. And they're concerned about what chairs they're going to sit in. What title is going to be in front of the name? What's going to be on their office door? If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. It says this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, or called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great, uh, and their great uh, ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had just finished telling the disciples exactly what's about to happen. He's told them that things are not going to be all rainbows and butterflies and handshakes and kisses when they get to Jerusalem. Things might have been tense when they were in Jerusalem the first time, but nothing like what they're about to experience now. The chief priests might have wished they could kill Jesus before, 
but now they were actually going to go through with it. And in the middle of this really serious conversation, the sons of thunder decide to pull Jesus aside to talk about who's going to get the corner office. Jesus is trying to prepare them mentally for the fact that he's about to die a very gruesome death. And we know from later on in Gethsemane that Jesus is in anguish. He's about to suffer an unimaginable amount of pain. And he's a little afraid. We know he even prays, talking to the Father, if there is any other way we can do this, please let's go with that option. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus is already feeling the weight of the task that's to be done. And James and John want to negotiate better positions and perks for themselves. If I was Jesus, I would have been ticked. I would have smacked him upside the head. Really? That's what you want to talk about right now. But Jesus simply responds to them, you don't know what you're asking me. And they really don't. Jesus is a lot more patient than I am. They still don't quite get it, do they? They're not asking to, to die beside Jesus. Don't misunderstand. This is not a moment of profound faithfulness for James and John where they're like, we're ready to die beside you, Jesus. No, they're asking for positions of honor and glory and authority in his kingdom. And my own opinion based upon the text is that they still thought that there was an immediate and earthly kingdom that was about to be established. I think they thought that the revolution against Rome was about to take place. And they wanted to make sure that they secured their positions of authority before they all got assigned and taken. They don't know what they're asking. Jesus asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Jesus asked, you want the position, but are you prepared for the full weight of what that means? Are you prepared for the consequences of what you're asking? Do you know the full details of what it means? You want to drink this same cup? You want to be baptized with this same baptism? I'm sure you do right now. Because you think it's going to be all love and hugs and kisses. That it's going to be glory and parades and accolades, perks, rewards, treasures. All the things that you've seen from earthly kings and leaders and their entourage. You want to drink the same cup I do when all the people love you. And look at you and fawn over you. But will you want to drink from my cup when it's full of suffering and pain and wrath? You think you want to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But what happens when that baptism is real and it's not just symbolic that you actually go down into the grave? That you die because of my name? What happens when you finally realize that I'm actually going to die happens when, it re when you realize that you're going to die because of my name? What then? Will you be so excited to be at my side, to stand beside me then? 
and missing the point entirely of what Jesus is saying to them, James and John immediately respond, Yes, we can drink from your cup. We can experience your baptism. We're ready. We're able. And Jesus responds with what I think is a very prophetic prediction. You will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. You will suffer and you will die in my service. And it's true. While John's the only disciple to not die a violent martyr's death, he would be exiled, most likely sometime between 81 and 96 AD, to the island of Patmos, where he would live out most of, if not the entirety of the rest of his days. James and the other disciples would all go on to die very gruesome, very disturbing deaths because they refused to stop saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. They would literally drink from the cup that he drank from and be baptized in that same baptism. They would die. They would suffer in his name. According to Acts chapter 12 verse 2, James would be killed by the order of King Herod with the sword, meaning that he was beheaded. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying right then. Soon they would. We see Jesus next do something very interesting. Jesus tells James and John to sit at his right hand and at his left hand are not for him to grant. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is God, fully and completely, yet he says, this is not my job. I don't get to tell you if you can sit at my right and at my left. Who has that ability then? To whom does that right to grant positions belong? To the Father. We see Jesus, even though he is fully and completely God, lovingly submits to God the Father's will and plan. And not just in the big picture of him dying on the cross, but in the little details, like who's going to sit where? Who's going to sit at his right hand and at his left hand in glory? Jesus isn't jockeying for position and isn't haggling with the Father over the seating arrangement. Jesus willingly submits to the fullness of the Father's will. And I know that's hard to grasp. I know if you're, you're thinking about that really deep right now, you're like, all right, I don't get that at all. I understand. I get it. This is one of the most profound, deep, difficult, and interesting truths of the Christian faith. The Trinity. The nature and being of our God. Jesus submits to the Father's will. And honestly, I think we'd do better to look at how it forever changed the world than to try to wrap our brains around an infinite God. Look at what he says. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not come to sit on a throne here and now. He came to die. And the world has been forever changed for the better by it. So by this point, 
all the other disciples, they see that James and John are over talking to Jesus. And you got to know that their curiosity is burning. These guys are not dumb. They're like, what are those two over there talking to Jesus about? Let's listen in. And they start listening in on the conversation. And they kind of pick up on what's going on. And they're not exactly happy about it, are they? The ESV translates it that they were indignant. Such a good word. We don't really use that word often in our culture, do we? Indignant. They were indignant. They were angry. They were offended. They were incensed. The word even has uh, connotations relating to shuddering and quivering. Have you ever been that angry? That you shuddered? That you shook? That you quaked? When's the last time you were that angry? I've not been that angry that often. I get angry a lot, but not that angry. Okay? That's a whole other type of anger when you're... That's indignance. They were indignant. And they weren't mad for the reason you might expect, though. I would think that they would be mad because here Jesus was having a very serious and somber moment talking with them about dying and these two knuckleheads decide that it's a good moment to buck for a promotion. But that's not why they're angry, is it? They're angry because they think they deserve positions one and two, right? Like, no, no, no! Not you, James and John. Me! I deserve that position. They're mad because the other two were trying to be sneaky and get in before the others had a chance. And it's funny, but it's also really sad, isn't it? Because all I can think about in that moment is how lonely it must have been for Jesus. How lonely he must have felt realizing these guys don't even seem to care that I'm about to die. They don't even care. They're worried about seating arrangements. They're worried about corner offices. Surrounded by the people who were his closest friends in the world and not a single one of them seems concerned that he's just said, fellas, I'm going to die. They were all obsessed with their own positions of authority. They were all too preoccupied with themselves to see how very uncaring and unloving and unkind they were being to their God. But Jesus doesn't miss a beat. And this shows you the absolute love and compassion and grace of Jesus. Because again, I'd be smacking heads. But he turns it into a lesson. Probably ends up saving James and John from a beating from the rest of the disciples too. He draws all of them together close. He says, guys, come in close. Huddle time. And he tells them this. Starting in verse 42. Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, in this world, everyone around you is so obsessed with themselves. They're obsessed with titles, offices, positions, where they're going to sit, who they're going to see and be seen by, what power they'll have, what wealth will come with that position. They worship themselves. And they think only about themselves. And they're concerned only with themselves. And they will step over even on others for the sake of themselves. And Jesus says, don't be like the world. Don't be like your leaders who want titles and positions so they can lord it over people. You're not supposed to be like them. My kingdom is different. My way is different. If you really want to be great in my kingdom that's coming, you must become a servant, diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon. You must be a servant to each other. If you really want to be first, to have the highest position in an honor in my kingdom, you must become the slave. The word changes. Servant, slave, doulos of all. Slave. You want to have the highest honor? Go do the most menial task for the people that society looks upon with the least import and as being least valuable. And know how violently different that is from the world around us. When you look at culture, you don't see that type of behavior. You see the opposite. And what's really bad in our culture is that it masquerades as being service. We go out and we pretend we're doing good for the sake of the people while all the while we're getting our tax deductions for it. All the while we're getting titles and positions for it. You honestly think that Zuckerberg over Facebook cares about the people that he gives money to? You're fooling yourself. It's all a giant game to these people. Political and corporate musical chairs. You remember that game growing up? You remember how we'd try to kill each other as little kids? Just to be the one who had the chair? You remember that? I loved that game as a little kid. Especially because I had the bump down. The hip bump. You know the hip bump. Everybody knows the hip bump when it comes to musical chairs. You boom! Knock them out of the chair last second. That game comes so naturally to us as little kids. We get it. Because we know all about self. We know all about self-interest. We know all about wanting that one chair. And oh, how silly it is, isn't it, to want a chair, but we want it. We want that seat. When I was little, I played for blood with that game. I wasn't about to lose my rightful position on the chair. No way, no how. I swung my hips and put my full weight into it, knocking the other kids out of the way so I could have my chair. Especially the little girls, because those were the easiest to get out of the way first, right? Like, we play strategically. 
Because the girls were all really nice as little kids. I wasn't. All right? They were all sweet and running around, having a good time, playing this game. They don't really care who wins. I'm like, my chair! Boom! And that's exactly how our world is. Just change the name from musical chairs to politics. Change the name from musical chairs to business. And maybe you've seen it firsthand at work or even in your family gatherings. You've seen the bumping take place. People throw their weight around and knock people off whatever chair it is they're after. But you, my friends, are commanded not to be so. Jesus commands us as his followers, stop worrying so much about your position and start working on your posture of worship. We're all so focused on sitting in the chair and which chair we'll occupy that we've missed the point that we're not supposed to be in the chairs. We're supposed to be on our knees before the throne. We're supposed to be bowing before the eternal God, praying, forgive us our sins. Wash us and make us righteous and clean. We should be on our faces. And instead, we want the lazy boy recliner. Today, if you're a Christian, my challenge to you is this. Examine where your focus is. Is your focus on that position that you're after? When it should be on your posture of worship before the eternal God. Who are you making your life and your work and your play about? Where is your focus? But today, if you're not a Christian, my call to you is this. My challenge to you is this. Repent and believe in Jesus, the one who loved you enough to die in your place. The one who loved you enough that even though he deserved the position of authority, even though he deserved the eternal throne, and he deserved to be made a king and heralded and worshipped here and now in this world. He deserved everything that we could give him and more eternally so. He chose to come and serve and die. Repent and believe in this Jesus. Believe in him. Trust him. Stop suppressing the truth and resisting the call to come and kneel before him humbly. Stop worrying about your chair. Stop worrying about your position. And start focusing on your posture of worship before God. How will you respond to his call? We're going to have a time of invitation right now. And if you are ready to respond to what Jesus has done, if you are ready to receive from him grace and life, this is the moment. You are here today for a reason. Come forward and confess that he is Lord. I want you to do that as we stand and as we sing together. Thanks for joining us for the message today. 
If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.